0: Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis. On July 17th, 2014, Malaysian Airlines flight MH17, a 777 flying from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur, experienced an in-flight breakup over eastern Ukraine. All 283 passengers and 15 crew members were killed. This episode was recorded roughly 48 hours after the event, and so far, the official investigation has not begun although there is significant circumstantial evidence that the aircraft was brought down by a surface-to-air missile. At this point, the wreckage and the black boxes have not been reviewed by the appropriate authorities, so there's no official confirmation that the aircraft was brought down by a missile. The seven interviews that follow were conducted over a roughly two-day period, with the first interview from the afternoon of July 17th and the final one from the afternoon of July 19th. These are a mix of interviews, some live, some pre-recorded for later broadcasts, Some from television networks and others from radio. The first from July 17th was from the TV show BBC World.
1: More now on the Malaysian airliner that has crashed in Ukraine. Let's go to Brookline, Massachusetts, speak to Dr. Todd Curtis, an aviation expert who runs the website airsafe.com, also a former safety engineer at uh, Boeing. Uh, Dr. Curtis If I'm on the ground and I look above into a clear sky at 33,000 feet, can I identify that a plane is a military plane or a passenger plane?
0: With the unaided eye, it's impossible. You might be able to tell that the Contrail has uh, four engines or two, but that's about it. Do you think the plane should have been flying in
1: that airspace? We've already quoted a couple of different airlines around the world who in the past few months have said, that's a war zone, we're going to go around it.
0: Well, there's a balance between the risk of flying through a conflict zone and the advantage of shorter flight times and less fuel burn. And throughout the history of aviation, there have been many times when aircraft routinely fly close to uh, zones of conflict, such as what happened today.
1: If it was pro-Russian rebels who shot this down using a book rocket launcher, um, which is the majority theory at the moment... There's no reason, I suppose, to suggest that those rebels would have had any device which would have picked up a pinger
0: or been able to identify the aircraft electronically. They wouldn't have had that, would they? Typically, a military uh, organization that has a surface air missile battery would have a radar that might be able to identify the aircraft, but they typically, typically would not have the kind of uh, transponder identifying equipment that you would see on an air traffic control radar. And there's absolutely no way
1: that a passenger plane could evade that kind of missile. Is there? It doesn't have detection systems like a military aircraft, does it?
0: Uh, no, it's not designed to have uh, detection systems that would uh, sense a radar beam uh, homing in on the aircraft. Nor does it have the capability to do any sort of evasive action, even if they even if they saw this uh, missile coming at them. So they wouldn't even have had time, the pilots, to send a distress
1: signal because the Malaysian prime minister has said none was sent from the plane.
0: Well, if they saw the missile coming, they may have thought to send some sort of distress signal, but they may have been more preoccupied with avoiding the missile. Uh, Once an explosion or once a catastrophic event happens on an aircraft, again, uh, communicating with the outside world would be secondary to trying to do anything within their power to get that airplane in the air.
1: Passengers around the world are going to be asking themselves the questions of uh, the flights that they've booked, what flight paths those planes will take. Is it incumbent upon a passenger now, from now after this tragedy, to say to an airline, I want to know the flight path because I might feel uncomfortable about where the plane is going?
0: Well, they can certainly ask the airline, but what flight path is taken on any particular uh, routing will depend on several factors, including weather. So if you're flying between two cities, You'll have a general idea what part of the world you'll be flying over, but there's no guarantee that you'll avoid trouble spots.
1: Dr. Todd Curtis, as always, we appreciate your time. Thank you, sir.
0: The second, also from July 17th, was from the BBC radio show 5 Live.
2: So let's have a look at what we know already and how the investigation will proceed from here. Dr. Todd Curtis is the founder of airsafe.com, an air safety and security website. He's a former aviation analyst with Boeing. Uh, Dr. Curtis, good morning to you. Of course, this was a Boeing airliner involved uh, in this accident, it should be said. Um, Let's start off, though, by, by talking about why this aircraft was actually flying over a conflict zone in the first place. Were you surprised that
0: major international
2: airlines were still operating in eastern Ukraine?
0: I was surprised until I found out later that Eurocontrol, which is the organization responsible for air traffic control in that part of Europe, actually had a, a, a allowance for aircraft to fly above a certain altitude. This aircraft was flying in that zone, so it apparently had the approval of the appropriate authorities. It was the thinking behind that
2: perhaps that... that- Because it's so difficult to shoot down, deliberately or by accident, an aircraft that is at kind of cruise altitude, 30,000 feet or above, that effectively airplanes don't need to worry about what goes on below them on the ground.
0: Uh, This might be the case. I'm speculating a bit here, but the concern amongst the people in the aviation business for quite a few years has been from surface air missiles that are portable, that is, that can be launched from the shoulder, a fairly light weapon, very sophisticated, but usually effective at lower altitudes, let's say below 15,000 feet. Uh, Once you're at the cruising altitude of 33,000 feet, which was the case today, only the more sophisticated kinds of uh, surface air missile systems could bring down an aircraft like that.
2: And obviously we don't know for sure at this stage whether or not it was brought down, although that seems to be the working theory, and there's several US officials that have been quoted as saying that that is what they believe happened. That's correct. We certainly don't know which side
0: as well. It's very clear, though, that there was a catastrophic in-flight breakup of the aircraft. Uh, that was caused by, very likely, some sort of explosion that was either internal to the aircraft or external to the aircraft. What else might have caused that if it wasn't a missile? I know we're speculating, but... Again, you could have any number of catastrophic events, for example, an uncontained engine failure that has uh, shrapnel flying in so many critical places that it may cause an in-flight fire or even a gaping hole in the fuselage. At those speeds which is at a significant fraction of the speed of sound, if you have any sort of rupture of the fuselage, that's a fairly large rupture, you could have the airstream rip the airplane apart piece by piece, and it could fall apart that way. Much like what happened with the Lockerbie event uh, back in the 1980s, it was a fairly small explosion inside the aircraft, but the aircraft progressively started to break apart as uh, pieces of structure peeled away.
2: Who has jurisdiction for this investigation? This is a Malaysian, an American-made Malaysian aircraft flying out of Amsterdam that crashed in a disputed region
0: of eastern Ukraine. Who's the lead investigator on this? By international agreement going back several decades, if it's a civil accident, that is not an act of terror or military action, the country where the event took place is responsible for the investigation. That would be Ukraine. Uh, should it turn out to be something other than an accident, then that country would still be responsible for the investigation. It would just take a somewhat different form.
2: Would that mean that a uh, governmental or a, a sort of police organization would take the lead above a, an air accident body?
0: It would be up to the country in question. And depending on the country, it would have a different outcome. For example, um, in the U.S., the FBI would be the uh, law enforcement agency that typically takes over... In an event that there was some sort of sabotage, hijacking, or military action.
2: Now, because we always hear about the, the black box, the black boxes, the flight data recorder, the cockpit voice recorder in these incidents. I mean, this is unlike the previous Malaysia Airlines plane, it has crashed on land. And indeed, pro Russian separatists say they have already got hold of the black box. We don't have that confirmed. But that will be key when it what is on those flight data recorders?
0: It may be key depending on the circumstance. If it turns out to be not from a missile, not from a military action, but rather through some sort of massive system failure, then the black box information will be absolutely critical to understand what happened throughout that flight. If it turns out to be an external cause, then the black box information would very likely shed very little light on what happened here. Now, because we don't have all the facts,
2: um, and there are... I suppose two coincidences here. One is that this aircraft was flying over effectively a conflict zone where there were reports that aircraft had been shot down before. That's kind of coincidence one. Coincidence two is that it's a Malaysian Airlines Boeing seven 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 two hundred, which is exactly the same kind of aircraft that was involved in the MH370 flight. We are focusing on the first coincidence that it appears to have been allegedly potentially shot down. Is it possible that it could be a different cause and perhaps even related to MH370?
0: It may be possible that there's a relationship, but unless and until uh, the black boxes and the aircraft structure itself from both of these events are investigated, it'll be difficult to exclude the possibility of some sort of relationship.
2: If the black box isn't found or if the data on the black box isn't helpful, can it still be determined what brought the plane down from looking at things like wreckage uh, and the debris
0: pattern? Certainly, there's a variety of information uh, outside of the black boxes that could be brought to bear. For example, as of today, there's quite a few videos, as well as still photographs, of the event as it unfolded and of the wreckage on the ground. If that were the only evidence available, that could be used. There are several governments, including the government of Ukraine, that has uh, military or intelligence information that could shed light on the circumstances around this event. So certainly there's plenty of data, it's just a question of whether or not that data will be available to the investigative authorities.
2: Yeah, that's the difficult thing with this investigation. This is a disputed region. There is a conflict zone. There's not a lot of trust between the two sides involved. Uh, Are you worried that the investigation could be compromised by that conflict?
0: Well, the investigation has already been compromised because the requisite authorities that should investigate this event have not been allowed on site. Now, that said, the situation could turn around very quickly if there is an agreement, however tenuous, for the major parties involved to allow the appropriate people to come on site and do a proper investigation.
2: But it's important, I would imagine, that that, in, that agreement is, is reached as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Um, just a, a word on the aircraft itself. Obviously you mentioned it's a Boeing 777. It's a modern airliner. It's, it's fairly unheard of for it to malfunction at cruise mid-flight, isn't it?
0: Well, it's unheard of for most modern airliners to malfunction there because during cruise is actually the portion of the flight that is least associated with accidents, uh, system failures, and the like. And in a lot of the cases, the things that happen at cruise are rare, unexpected events that usually shed some light as to how future aircraft should be designed. Whether that's the case here remains to be seen. The next interview from July 17th is from the Colombian network NTN24 and the show La Tarde. What follows is the pre-interview from the producer, which was conducted in English. The final version of this, which is not part of this podcast, had my comments translated into Spanish.
3: So I want to welcome Todd Curtis. Thank you for being with us today on La Tarde on NTN24. Thanks for having me. Todd, um, some Ukrainian rebels have been blocking the access to where the black boxers are, are saying that it will be them who investigate what happened to the aircraft. Is there any other way to find out what happened besides the black boxes?
0: Well, certainly there will be other sources of information. For example, there are a variety of individuals in and around the crash site who have already uploaded uh, photos and videos to the Internet. And there are other eyewitness accounts that could be used in the investigation.
3: Okay, um, what can be inferred from the information that has been available about the accident?
0: Well, the information, primarily from eyewitness reports, and again, the photographic and video evidence, It's very consistent with an in-flight breakup of a large jet transport. And reportedly, it was a 777 aircraft from, from Malaysian Airlines. Some of the wreckage actually had Malaysian Airlines icons on it and Malaysian flag icons on it. So I'm fairly confident that, indeed, a 777 airliner from Malaysian Airlines did crash in Ukraine. What can't be inferred directly is the cause of that crash.
3: Okay, um, is Malaysian Airlines having trouble with their security? This, this is the second um, accident in less than six months.
0: Well, indeed, it's very unusual for an airline, even a very large airline to have two very significant crashes or in the case of the MH Flight 370, a suspected crash in such a short period of time. But clearly these two events are very different from one another. Uh, One of them obviously occurred in daylight with a lot of witnesses and already there is substantial evidence available for an investigation. As for the first one, there's very little evidence. So at this point I can't say that there's much of a connection between these two events.
3: Is the hypothesis of a missile crashing with the aircraft possible?
0: It's certainly possible, because again, given the fact that the aircraft did break up in flight, and there's even video showing pieces of the aircraft falling out of the sky, one of the causes of this sort of thing would be an explosion caused by a missile, either a smaller surface air missile, the kind that can be launched from a single individual, or what's more likely, because this airplane was apparently at cruising altitude a much larger missile that may be fired from a vehicle or from a fixed location.
3: Okay, um, the Ukrainian president just said that the accident was indeed a a terrorist attack. So what's the the protocol now?
0: The protocol by international agreement is that when there is an accident or a suspected accident, the country where that event occurred, is a lead investigative authority. So if the crash took place in Ukraine, the Ukrainian government is typically in charge of the investigation. Should it be an event where it is a deliberate action, sabotage, terrorism, a military uh, missile strike, that sort of thing, then the usual protocol you would see in an accident investigation wouldn't be followed. Uh, For example, in an accident investigation, there's an open investigation and the results are shared with the world. If it's a military event, there may be very little information shared by the Ukrainian government with the rest of the world.
3: Okay, so one last question. Um, should, it be, should the security uh, in the K in the airports um, be even um, better now?
0: Well, within the airport, there are certain kinds of security threats. And certainly there have been many changes, especially since 9-11, to reduce or eliminate those threats. When an aircraft is flying between cities, such as the case with the aircraft today, very little can be done at the airport that would prevent someone with the right technology from attacking an airplane in the middle of a flight.
3: Okay, I want to thank Todd Curtis for being with us today at NTN24.
0: Well, thank you for having me. The last interview from July 17th was from BBC WM 95.6, which provides local radio services for the West Midlands area of Britain. Uh, I want to talk about the big
4: story of the day, flight MH17, Malaysian airline flight. Let's cross now to the USA, East Coast, Boston, Dr. Todd Curtis, founder of airsafe.com. He's on the line. Good afternoon from the UK. Good morning to you, sir. Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, First of all, let's get a reaction from yourself, please,
4: Dr. Curtis, about this tragedy.
0: Well, I'm somewhat uh, conservative about saying that that a missile has struck the aircraft simply because there hasn't been an investigative body to definitively say that the missile struck it. Uh, That said, circumstantial evidence is overwhelming, and clearly this airplane experienced a catastrophic in-flight breakup. Uh, If it
4: had been hit by a missile, Doc, and let's just stick... With the speculation at the moment, what would that mean for the current crisis in Ukraine, particularly drawing in countries like your own?
0: Well, this uh, changes things uh, politically, if nothing else, because, uh, because of the nature of the flight, there were at least half a dozen different nationalities on board that aircraft. So all of those countries, which may have been on the fence when it comes to this conflict, are now very much involved with how does this organization that has control over the area respond to this? Are they going to be responsible in in letting investigators in? Are they going to be responsible with allowing people to be punished if indeed it was due to a deliberate act?
4: Mm. Uh,
0: What do you make of the mobile phone
4: exchanges that have been caught uh, and recorded? Have you heard them, doctor? Have you read
0: about them, the exchanges between two of the Russian separatists?
4: Oh, this is the allegation anyway.
0: Well, yes, I did hear about that. In fact, uh, one thing in favor of that is that they not only had a transcript but they had the actual audio commentary uh, available for the public to review. If this conversation is indeed legitimate, that is, if it is uh, depicting what it purports to depict, then it would be rather damning evidence that this was a very deliberate action uh, That, uh, in the sense of firing a missile at an aircraft, but not a deliberate action in that they, they were not firing at a civilian airliner deliberately. They seemed to be quite surprised at the turn of events.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and if it does prove that it was actually fired, if a missile was indeed fired, if it was fired by those two characters, or at least they were involved, then they, they actually did express surprise that it was a commercial airliner. They assumed that it was a military plane, didn't they?
0: That's, that's correct. And in fact, in the days leading up to uh, the crash yesterday, there had been several airliners, aircraft rather, shot down in that par- part of the world. At least two of them were large transport aircraft, one of which was a large jet-powered transport. So uh, this organization or this part of the world was not unfamiliar with shooting down large aircraft. One of your politicians, his name escapes
4: me, and Uh, the rhetoric... John McCain. I, I mean, he now says there's hell to play.
0: What does he mean by saying there's hell to pay? Well, it's unclear what he means by that because clearly there is a U.S. involvement because the aircraft was manufactured in the U.S., But what isn't so clear, at least from his political point of view, is what U.S. interests were directly uh, uh, attacked by this alleged act. Uh, Again, I think he has a larger political uh, canvas that he's painting, uh, directed primarily against the Obama administration. And I hesitate to say that this is uh, well outside my area of expertise. I'm mostly an aviation safety and security person. Uh, There is policy involved in aviation safety and security and there's sometimes politics but the politics of senator mccain was more of a national u.s political point of view rather than international doctor nevertheless in the
4: coming weeks and months people will once again cast suspicion and uncertainty on malaysian airlines won't they what does this mean for that airline do you think
0: well it really depends on what the uh, result of the investigation is if it turns out for example, that there was uh, no missile strike, that in fact this was due to some sort of uh, technological uh, reason, perhaps due to uh, procedures or maintenance, it would uh, bode very ill for Malaysian airlines. If, on the other hand, it turns out to be a missile attack, then it's not so bad. I I hesitate to say that um, Malaysia was not uh, the only airline flying in that area that day. In fact, one can go and look at some of the air traffic control websites replay yesterday's uh, traffic. And there are several aircraft that are flying through that very same area that very same time of day. Oh, that's
4: very interesting because, as I understand, American aircraft and European aircraft were told not to fly over that zone. And again, people, and it is conjecture, but people are saying maybe the pilot was forced to fly over that area to save fuel.
0: Well, let's also look at the broader picture here. Eurocontrol, which is the air traffic control organization for that part of the world, actually stated that there are certain areas that aircraft couldn't fly, specifically in the area where flight MH17 was. Uh, Airliners couldn't fly below 32,000 feet. MH17 was flying at 33,000 feet. So they were in concert with Eurocontrol and following their direction. Now, this may bring up another question. Was Eurocontrol and the aviation industry in general not cognizant of the risk and perhaps allowed airliners to fly in areas they should not have allowed them to fly in.
4: Can I thank you so much for your time, Todd? I really appreciate it. Maybe we'll talk again. Thank you, sir.
0: Oh, thank you for the opportunity. The following radio interview from July 18th was from radio station CKNW in Vancouver, Canada.
5: 7.49 on the CKNW Morning News. I think to most of us lay people, the question about that airliner coming down in Ukraine, is why would a civilian aircraft fly over what amounts to a war zone? But it was an approved route. There's no problem there. It didn't appear to go into an area that was in some way restricted. So we need to get some answers here. And we're turning to Dr. Todd Curtis, who is an author and an aviation safety analyst. He is the founder of airsafe.com a site with information about crashes, security, and other items pertaining to aviation. Uh, Dr. Curtis, good morning.
0: Oh, thanks for having me today.
5: It's a, it's a pleasure to have you to enlighten us a little bit here. The, the, I mean, it sounds like a basic question, and that's where I'd like to start. The plane flying over a, a war zone, how how
0: common is that? Well, it's very common for uh, air routes who go in or near areas that have conflict. Now, of course, the conflicts can be of uh, various magnitudes. Obviously, what happened yesterday was beyond what the airline and what the air traffic control authorities uh, bargained for. But there is a constant uh, balancing of risk and, and uh, convenience when it comes to flying in various areas of the world. I, I noted that uh, Korean Air,
5: Asiana Airlines, Qantas, China Airlines, and I think even uh, British Airways as well, they stopped flying that route. But I'm grateful to a listener who actually emailed me an article this morning saying, in fact, there was a Singapore Airlines plane within 15 miles of that, air, the Malaysian plane. And, and 55 other aircraft flew that
0: route, uh, apparently on the same
5: day, with no consequences. So what are, we, what,
0: what are we trying to make of this? Well, one of the things I take away from this is this is an example of the complexity of the modern air traffic control system and the modern airline system, air, air transportation system. It's a coordinated effort between airlines, between air traffic control authorities, between governments to try and figure out what the best information is uh, in a given situation, whether it's about weather or about conflict areas, and to make prudent decisions accordingly. Uh,
5: It's been suggested that this – had it been a different route, had it gone – a different way. Uh, The reason they're staying with this route is because it would have involved longer flight times and therefore higher fuel costs. So could that have been a reason why it stuck to this
0: route? Well, that's certainly one of the reasons that's commonly used to determine uh, which air routes to use. Other reasons could include what sort of navigational aids are available in that area, and also weather in that area. Uh, So again, it's a complex series of decisions that have to be made. And sometimes those decisions are made uh, on the fly. Uh, They may not have had that as their original route of flight. They may have deviated because of weather. That's one of the many things that should come out during the investigation. Which is going to be tough to do, certainly on the ground, given the
5: the situation on the ground.
0: That's correct. And again, it's not clear what sort of resolution will happen when it comes to the -the on-the-ground investigation. But certainly there is ample information from other sources, some traditional aviation sources and other non-traditional sources that could shed a lot of light as to what the sequence of events was that led to the crash.
5: Right. I, the, the other thing that occurred to me looking at the footage as it was coming in through most of the day yesterday is that the the teams who were initially on the ground, uh, I guess, I guess uh, we would use, if you look at the crime shows on tv you'd say they they trampled all over the scene of the crime i mean they were contaminating the scene
0: indeed and this is a a common problem with air crashes around the world that is outside of a few countries that have a very uh, sophisticated response to emergencies like this in most countries when a crash happens the first responders who sometimes could be just average citizens do what they think is the most prudent thing at that time and in the process they may inadvertently uh, tamper with evidence.
5: When something like this happens, Todd, we, uh, w- for a few days, we get all uh, all excited about how the dangers of flying, but statistically, surely it is, if not the safest way to
0: travel. It's indeed uh, extremely safe, and there is no comparable long-distance transportation method that has the low rate of fatal events that air transportation has. Now, that said, Uh, safety in aviation and in other areas isn't just a question of numbers it's a question of public acceptance and public perception and certainly the perception uh, took a quite a bit of a hit yesterday and the uh, acceptance of flying on any air carrier in certain parts of the world that acceptance has dropped as well so this is something for the industry and governments to work together to reverse
5: uh, you know, short of staying at home, uh, we are still going to fly in very large numbers. I, I'm I'm booking a transatlantic flight uh, in the in the next few days. I mean, you can't stay at well, you can stay at home, but we don't. Oh,
0: well, that's correct. And and personally, I actually flew into and out of Amsterdam last month, and I plan to do so next month. So there was uh, some uh, a bit of a twinge of fear on my part briefly, but I had to put it in context. Yes, it happened with an aircraft taking, out of Amsterdam, taking off out of Amsterdam, a very safe airport, very high-quality airport. It just shows you that this sort of very random event could happen anywhere.
5: Well, this is, this is the second disaster for an, a Malaysian airline's plane. Um, I saw their stock plunged by 11%. Uh, is this an airline that can survive this?
0: Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, they are, of course, a an airline heavily subsidized by the Malaysian government. So even if there is a temporary financial setback, uh, they have the backing of the, the, the nation of Malaysia to help them through. But more to the point, this is a question that will be answered during the investigation. Were the procedures, were the actions taken by the airline uh, contributing in any way to what happened? Now, keep in mind that although the circumstantial evidence is overwhelming that this airplane was brought down by a missile. The investigation hasn't formally uh, finished yet, so I'll withhold judgment on that. There's still a possibility that not only that the airline might have had a role in what happened, but that there may be a connection between this flight and MH370, which, of course, is uh, a completely different uh, investigation. Wow. Thank you for your time this morning, sir. Well, thank you for having me. This interview from July 18th was from radio station CJD in Montreal, Canada.
6: Hi, you're listening to CJD. It's 11 minutes before 1, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the Malaysia Airlines explosion and crash with Todd Curtis, who's an author and aviation safety expert, as well as founder of airsafe.com, a website that tracks plane safety and uh, aerospace industry news. Good afternoon, Todd Curtis.
0: Uh, Good afternoon, and thanks for having me.
6: The latest news is that Obama, President Obama, is calling for an investigation. How, how, could that, how would that roll out? How would that work? And would it involve the Dutch government since so many Dutch nationals were killed?
0: Well, absolutely. By international agreement, uh, going back quite a ways. In fact, this is an ICAO-based agreement, which of course is based in Montreal. By international agreement, when an event like this occurs, the country where it occurs is in charge of the investigation and countries that have an interest, for example, if they had passengers on board or if they were the country of manufacturer or the country of registration, they're also invited into the investigation. So the U.S. is already, by agreement, a party to this investigation.
6: I Okay, so I just wanna open a small parenthesis just sort of uh, out of personal curiosity and I think maybe some people are wondering about this. It look This plane appears to have been shot right out of the air Uh, And I'm wondering, in a case like that, are the passengers aware of what's happening?
0: Well, of course, the investigation hasn't formally begun, and they haven't conclusively said that this happened. But assuming that it is uh, an attack by the missile that's been mentioned, the the Buk missile system, uh, this is a missile that travels roughly three times the speed of sound. Even if the flight crew were able to see this missile coming, it would come on them so quickly, they'd be unable to do any sort of evasive action. And unless there was something unusual happening, for example, evasive action on the part of the pilots, I'm afraid the passengers would have been completely unaware until the missile strike.
6: So they wouldn't have time to, have, to panic or to... They wouldn't have had time to really even react. It would have just been over before they even knew it.
0: Well, it, it, probably so. Obviously, we know the aircraft did crash and there was an in-flight breakup. Depending on the, the physics of the explosion... The aircraft might have been damaged and continued flying for some period of time before breaking up, or the initial explosion, again assuming there was a missile, might have led to the immediate breakup at altitude of the aircraft, in which case between the uh, forces uh, being thrown around the aircraft, between the decompression effects and such, it's likely that that most of the passengers would have been unconscious or uh, dead before a few seconds had elapsed.
6: Uh, Somebody texted in to say that it was Ukrainian dispatchers who changed the course of this flight and sent it over a conflict region. Um, You know, why was that plane in that zone?
0: There is a European control air traffic control organization called Eurocontrol which controls the airspace or rather the flight paths over a number of countries and this was a flight path that had been used by other aircraft and in fact there's well over a dozen other airliners in the same general area yesterday. And this was an area where Eurocontrol had allowed airplanes to fly, and Flight 17 was flying in the corridor it was supposed to be flying in. So on the surface, at least, they were following the rules that were laid down and were flying in a safe manner.
6: Another point raised by a texter is that rebels have been downing planes before this. Um, planes have been, have been shot down since May. Uh, this is, uh, I'm wondering what your reaction is to that point.
0: Well, there absolutely had been several planes shot down. In fact, there were at least two and possibly three military aircraft shot down in the three or four days preceding the crash of Flight MH17. But, uh, And this is part of the investigation. This is one of those situations where the Eurocontrol and the other aviation bodies that were over the safety of flight in that part of the world looked at these risks and determined, based on where these shoot-downs were occurring, and where the airliners were flying, that although this was an area of conflict, that there were safe zones through which these aircraft could fly. it appears, at least from the circumstantial evidence, that that was not the case.
6: And also, it seems to me that there is all kinds of satellite and radio intelligence focused on this region right now. Advanced air defense defense weapons systems are impossible to hide in this kind of high-tech era that we live in. How is it that this escaped people's notice that these weapons were available and and operational in this region.
0: Well, it's very likely that it didn't escape notice, but what's more than likely is that the various intelligence and military and even civilian organizations that may have been aware of pieces of information were not able to piece these together. Uh, Perhaps, and this is uh, historically had been the case in many other conflicts, that only after the fact, for something major, let's say like nine eleven or other major terrorist events. Only after the fact are the governments and intelligence agencies able to piece it together and say, ah, here's a sequence of events that led to this, that if we'd known about it ahead of time, we might've had an idea of how to avoid this.
6: Um, I'm wondering also the, the question of airline safety comes to mind, right? Especially with regard to Malaysia Airlines flights. This is a company that has had a really unbelievably terrible Um, last couple of years, right? So, I'm wondering, those people who are already nervous flyers, they hear these stories and they go slightly into panic mode, what would you say about that?
0: Well, on the surface, there is the possibility that the two events, MH Flight 17 and, and Flight 370, are somehow linked, that somehow actions or procedures on the part of the airline may have contributed to both of these. Unfortunately, because in both cases, the investigation hasn't really progressed to a point where there's a full understanding of what went on. Unfortunately, there's no evidence against that. So in the back of many people's minds is the idea that, gosh, is there something about this airline where they're just uh, incompetent or is this one of these things where they're just incredibly unlucky? That remains to be seen.
6: So what's going to happen next? I mean, did the, is there a black box available? I mean, what happens? What's the next step?
0: Well, the next step, uh, typically, in a traditional situation is that the country where the event took place takes charge of the investigation, and they invite other interested parties who were formerly part of the investigation to participate, and they would invite other groups as needed to fully investigate this. On the surface, that's happening right now. For example, the U.S. has already sent representatives from the NTSB and the FBI, and other organizations such as Malaysia Airlines is involved in sending resources but what remains to be done at least immediately is to first get access to the crash site and to then secure the black boxes and turn them over to an organization that can properly analyze them.
6: Okay well thank you very much for talking to us today and shedding some light on this.
0: Well uh, next time I hope it's under uh, better
6: circumstances. Mm, Thank you very much Todd Curtis. Todd Curtis is author, aviation, uh, is an aviation safety expert and founder of airsafe.com.
0: The seventh and final interview featured in this episode was from July 19th, 2014 on CTV News Canada.
7: A flight safety analyst, Todd Curtis joins us now from Brookline, Massachusetts. Mr. Curtis, thanks a lot for taking time to talk to us today. I want to go back to the mechanics of this investigation that uh, CTV's joined Melbourne, who we spoke with just a few moments ago. Uh, made clear that this investigation, is, as I called it, uh, there is no investigation, essentially, at this point, she, she made clear. So uh, with this many hours since this occurrence, how difficult, how much more difficult is the investigation, once it does actually begin, going to be?
0: Well, it depends on what the cause of the crash was. If, as is suspected, and there's plenty of circumstantial evidence for it, that it was a missile strike that brought the aircraft down, then the black boxes will very likely uh, reveal very little about what caused the accident because, as I said, there's plenty of circumstantial evidence. If it's not a missile strike, if this is indeed a normal aircraft accident, it will be absolutely essential to get the data from the black boxes, from the crash site, as quickly as possible.
7: So working on the assumption, at least for now, that this was a missile strike that brought down MH17, the plume of smoke in this uh, photo that we're showing you uh, when the plane crashed in Ukraine near the border with Russia, if it can be presumed, at least for the time being, that this was a missile strike, what are investigators, once they have access to either the black boxes, which, as Joy pointed out, are missing, and once they get access to the crash site, what are they going to be looking for?
0: Well, if they know it's a missile strike, they're going to be looking for further evidence of that. For example, if there are fragments of the missile in amongst the aircraft wreckage or nearby. And also looking at the sequence of events that occurred. Was this a strike that took out uh, a major portion of the aircraft immediately? Or, as was the case with KAL uh, 007 uh, some decades ago, was the aircraft able to fly along for some period of time before losing control and having the catastrophic in-flight breakup?
7: If it was a catastrophic in breakup, would the black boxes pick that up even if it was just a fragment of a second?
0: It's very likely that even if it was an instantaneous breakup of the aircraft after an explosion, let's say, whether it's internal to the aircraft or external to the aircraft, there may be some data in the last fraction of a second that would indicate things such as which systems switched offline first, which may indicate which systems were closest to the source of the explosion.
7: How valuable would a be to have a cockpit voice recorder?
0: It will be very valuable if there was some sort of inkling that the crew had that something was awry. If they had any sort of idea, that would be reflected, certainly in the cockpit communications. As is has been told by Eurocontrol and the other organizations that were communicating with the aircraft, there was no distress signal. Well, there may have been some sort indication of distress within the cockpit, and for that the CVR is absolutely essential.
7: There having questions raised, as you know, about the flights routing over an active conflict zone. Uh, what went into determining this route?
0: That's an excellent question. That's going to be a part of the investigation because, as I stated before, the organization that controlled air traffic over that part of Europe is called Eurocontrol, and they were the ones who specified which areas were to be avoided and how high they should fly. If their decision process was somehow faulty, then that should be investigated to the full extent possible.
7: Flight Safety Analyst Todd Curtis joining us from Brookline, Massachusetts. Mr. Curtis, good to talk to you. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you for having me. For more information on the crash of Malaysian Airlines MH17, as well as MH370, please visit 777.airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.